Welcome to the podcast version of Sunday Miscellany, which differs from the radio version for rights reasons. We hope you enjoy the program. I left Ireland just over 40 years ago. In 1982, it was a good place to leave, and London, a good place to land. I was held in Ireland's orbit, but the city was full of stars and the planets seemed closer. Homesickness was offset by the rushing pulse of people, culture and language from everywhere. I would go back later, or not at all. During COVID, I returned to the north for six weeks, the longest time I'd spent there since I left for Trinity. Helping to look after my dying father reconnected me with Northern Irish terms and textures I'd forgotten. Leaving was a painful, weaning sensation. The following year, I decided to undertake a pilgrimage of the River Ban as a way to be near my dad and to re-experience the North. It brought up all the reasons why I left and made me question the many times I chose Donegal over Derry or Berra over Belfast. I've just realised that those months spent writing the book brought a sort of unification in myself, not as a northerner wanting to be part of the south, but more like a southerner wanting to include the north. I'd severed myself from it in the ways I was severed by roads and farmlands from the banks of the river. Recently, at my desk in Islington, I protested with a click against a liquid gas mine in Ireland. I filled in my mother's address in Port Stewart, thinking it might give my vote more legitimacy than a London one. I had to scroll to find the county. Derry was there. I had to scroll again for constituency. I kept scrolling Athenry, Athlone, Ballinakill, Bandon, Cork. Derry was not there, and I didn't live there. I'd crossed the constituency border. Sadness surged over me in a hot wave. I tear up sometimes when I look at a map of Ireland or watch a movie set there, but I didn't expect to be hit by a constituency scroll. It was homesickness, but it was also a sense of disenfranchisement. I'd opted out of counting, being counted in a fundamental way. What was once undertaken with a smack of defiance, a youthful, I'm off and to hell with you, with your church, your troubles, your control of women's bodies, has become, I'm back, and where the hell have I been? Dusk is falling in Cornwall. I'm staying in a Bosnian friend's house above the sea. The slope below is being eroded more and more by the surge. There is a headland with fewer lights on it than an Inishone, which I grew up watching across the bay, although we never called it bay or ocean, even though it was the Atlantic. There is the boom of waves on the beach. The lights of the town twinkle sodium yellow into the night. 
I feel at peace, but this peace misses a peace, a peace of the view, a peace of the smell, a peace of a passing voice. It is still, but some part of me is not. A line by the poet Lisa Robertson rings in my head. It is the country you are constrained to become. I've realized that the London I came for barely exists anymore. The place of a radical left, a vibrant peace movement, luminous women's and gay liberation, and coalitions around anti-racism. Post-Brexit, England is jingoistic, fractured, and inward-looking. Is this what I am constrained to become? I sit here with my friend from Banya Luca, trying to hold the restlessness that creeps up on me. She tells me that in her language, there is a word for a woman alone. That word is Sama. I am Sama, watching the dark sea. I don't know how to return my great back. To go back without a home, a job, the friends I've made from all over the world, which fed my belonging. I've lived in London longer than I've lived anywhere. It is home. It is missing home. It is eating culture as home, drinking music as belonging. It is the world's crossroads meeting in my kitchen. It is also knowing that flying into Ireland makes all my senses stand up. My spirit expands. The plane will bump down and flood to a stop. I will be home, that other home obliterated, misnamed, like code switching, abode switching. There's always a tinge of betrayal in the moment of reclaiming origin. But why betrayal? Can't you call it a gift to inhabit several voices, several places at once? I call it home when I disembark in Derry, home when I disembark in Stansted. I am more salmon than dolman. Thank you. many places beyond the domain of my house where I also feel at home. Such a connection can establish itself really very quickly. Staying in a strange city, a bar where I sit in the same spot to have a drink of my own, becomes before long my local bar, welcoming and familiar, despite the fact that two days previously I didn't know it existed. But of course, it's not always like that. Some places gain such status over time. For over 20 years, bar lockdown, illness and the occasional trip, 
My mum and I have met in the same place, a cafe, each Saturday at quarter past ten. That probably amounts to well over a thousand times that we have sat opposite each other across the table in this place. I say quarter past ten, but in reality I have been more often than not late. I proffer my usual flurry of excuses used for over 20 years. The taxi was late, the bus was late, I'd been up working from early and had forgotten the time. I met someone I knew on the way. These excuses are always accepted graciously, if disbelievingly. My mum looks smart. You should dress well when you go into town, she's always said, because you never know who you might meet. But in 20 years in this cafe, we have never met anyone out of the ordinary, if such a thing as an ordinary person can be said to exist. Material conditions have changed over the years. The cafe used to be in the basement at the far end of the food hall. It was chilly and had the utilitarian ambience of a Soviet workers' canteen. We went down in the lift with a baby in a buggy. Not so long after, we went down in the lift with a baby in a buggy and a little kid. And then the cafe moved upstairs to reside next to homeware. Still we went every week. Still we go every week. There are other places, more modish, more artisan, less bland, but we don't diversify because this place means Saturday morning. And always the same order. Two coffees and a slice of cake, which we share. There have been various cakes over the years. Coffee was a favourite, but is now defunct. You serve yourself the cakes with a metal slice now, but you used to have to ask to have it done for you. The minutiae of the cafe, the grammar of its operation, is noticed by us. The precise positioning of metal tubs of cutlery, the new coffee machines, the new mugs, the old mugs, the sudden arrival of a artificial tree. The people who work there, we notice them too. The friendly, the funny, the girl with the amazing eye makeup who looked like a Shangri-La. The guy from ages ago, the one with the country accent who was always wearing last night's eyeliner. He's not forgotten. Some customers we see most weeks. The woman with the mobility scooter, the child with the patent shoes. The mother with the two children. We remember when she was pregnant. We wonder where some familiar faces are who no longer appear. Occasionally, my dad would turn up unexpectedly in the cafe. Although he is dead six years, we do still half expect that to happen. When we see them, we love to say hello to a couple who were in the cafe at the same time for many years before we spoke. We've never seen them anywhere outside this place. We know the rhythms. Coming up to Christmas, there's a queue of people who come to town only very irregularly. <laughs> we roll our eyes. They do not put in our hours at the cafe. James Joyce, it said, considered Ernest Hemingway's a clean, well-lighted place 
as one of the best short stories ever written. I like it too. It's about a cafe late at night. And this cafe in the story is a shelter, a refuge from empty, meaningless existence. Or nada, who art in nada, nada be thy name, thy kingdom nada, thy will be nada, in nada, as it is in nada. The cafe, bright and clean, is a temporary home. I'm not thinking that that's what it is for us or for me, Saturday morning at 10.15, although I understand that story and feel an affinity with it. Anyhow, my mum says, taking a sip of coffee as she moves nimbly from one subject to another, from funerals to shades of foundations, to the point of it all, to the newspaper article she has clipped out about someone I knew 40 years ago. Anyhow, she says, anyhow. It's really nice to be here. This poem depicts me as a very young and very incompetent Gaelic keeper, but also that it imagines uh, my father observing me being different without me having the language yet to describe that. Keeper. To my memory, I was always on a Gaelic pitch in autumn, the trees low and big brown mounds of leaves a spectrum of brown thrown in the air by balls skimming the tops like a scalping razor. Relegated to the goalposts, those strong legs of the better team, I watch amazed as they run, roll and weave, as brave as otters, an owl watching them play. With my end of the pitch, often vacant and shoutless, I would busy myself with the gravel stones beneath me, articulating them lovingly into stone palaces around the posts. I wanted to inhabit each one and feel at home. My father leans on the sidelines without a cap, the autumn chill not so unmanageable yet. His bald head, like the scored ground under a wooden swing where wildflowers have a chance. He begins to yell, Michal, Michal, and not in disappointment or embarrassment, as I thought immediately, but to pull me from reverie as leather ball whirled towards my cheek. <laughs> the rasp in his voice, not due to my softness, I learned years later. No, it was how he lay witness to a great pain careening towards me through the cold air and could not catch it. Uh, 
my partner and I entertained a brief psychotic episode where we thought we could buy a house together. <laughs> and this poem emerged from that episode. Walking through empty houses. Receiving the customary chill passing Paisley's church, a theological spank on the bottom, we are soon greeted as two brothers by the gilet-wound estate agent. He struggled to turn his BMW, cobalt and sleek, in the tiny cul-de-sac. A rider, is it? BMW asks if you're proud, and I wonder, does he mean our mother? Somewhere in Ballycillan seems promising. Then, three articles on Spool about three Catholic families prevented from moving in. Not to west, not to east. For the first time, I wish my name away. Packs of miserable people, a kettle of vultures awaiting Susie, the estate agent, to disembark her micra. Poor Susie, friendly but without enough hunks of meat for all the jet black jackals with our red eyes. She unlocks the bright pink door, perfect for poofs, I say, you frown. <laughs> and desperate people abandon small cars and umbrellas. We speak quietly as we step through a small terraced house as though on consecrated ground, wherein we do not belong. Having endured the last what's for you, well-wish, I go catatonic in Boy Park. Simple are my requests, to cook eggs well on a stove I inherit, while looking out to a yard, painted mint green, pebbles in terracotta pots, from which nasturtiums erupt and crawl the walls, to lie in bed and watch a stippled ceiling, Sounds of kids tumbling up and down the stairs next door, rather than paramilitaries kicking the other men out of the house beside. For the lock to be strong, the windows to be open, a front door to be painted a lively colour, to be undisturbed with my cats on a cheap upright. For those squares of sun on the rug to be mine. very generous audience. Uh, this last one. This is the last one. Um, my mother would have always told me that people in Derry of her generation were bred to leave. Uh, being the hero of mine that she is, she neglected to follow that advice, so I decided to follow suit. Travelling poem. Planes the size of friends leave the city in swathes. What feels daily these days? My mother and I drink coffee, wincing as each colourful flight roars overhead. The black coffee is bitter. Goodbye. A shame, Mummy says, all they'll miss. Gesturing to the delicate white blooms of a tree hanging lively over a blue car. Or perhaps she means this place. The fire and words and people between the thin flowers and the stone balcony. She is wise in this regard, having shredded papers and ambition to play a violin all across a life. The radio's frequency prioritizes the music of elsewhere. The best part of a decade has been given to my roots, sinking into this damp soil, in knowledge that difficulty remains difficult by a poolside or a municipal park. Arrival is just a feeling that comes in those broad seconds in an unfamiliar place where clarity meets strangeness, like that morning on Baggett Street where the canal stilled 
and Charlotte linked my arm, where the sky cleared grey into blue and Kavanagh sat observing the rushes. Arrival is a tension, and each morning I arrive to my mother thinking of me. I drive to see her. Life is fragrant. Thank you. So, where are you from? Seems like a simple question, but it makes me sweat. I was chatting to this man on the street, asked the question, and he answered, Arikal. Now, Arikal is a small parish in County Down near Kilkeel, up in the Mourne Mountains. Heart of the Mourns, he says, heart of the Mourns. Born and reared, 100%, never moved, never left. The brother lives up the road, the sister lives down the road. And as he talked on, I was envious of his easy sense of belonging somewhere. Because that's not me. What part of the world are you from yourself? I knew he'd ask this. And then my mind started spinning. I mean, the short answer is, I'm from Newry. Full stop. Sometimes that opens a conversation. Sometimes it closes one. The long answer is, I'm from Newry, brackets the county downside, close brackets. My father was from Cady in County Armagh. My mother was born in Roscavi in County Tyrone. I came to Belfast 30 years ago, met my wife, who's from Derry City. Married her, never went home. I have relations in Monaghan, Galway, Selbridge, Northampton, and I live in Sainfield in County Down. But I just said, Newry. <laughs> I've actually been out of Newry and in and around this city of Belfast far longer than I was ever at home. And still, only last week, half a mile from here in Bedford Street, I was approached by two American tourists who wanted directions. And I found myself explaining, well, no, I am not actually from Belfast. <laughs> I'm from uh, Newry. It's about 40 miles um, south of here. And Bob and Carl from Cleveland, Ohio, God bless them, lovely couple, who just wanted directions to the post office. Uh, <laughs> got a bit more than they bargained for, but I can't help it. We're in leafy South Belfast here, and I know all around this art centre so well. You go out the front door and turn to the right, takes you down Shaftesbury Square into the Golden Mile, the Dublin Road, and you're in the city centre in 10 minutes. In a bar about 10 doors down from here, in my first week up in the big smoke as a student, 1998, an older woman leaned across the bar and bellowed, buy me a pint of strong beer, and I'll show you a good time. <laughs> and 17-year-old me was just mortified and left. A left turn out of here takes you up along the front of Lanyon's beautiful Queen's University, where I passed whole nights in the music department trying to get work finished and handed in on time. On up past the Friars Bush Graveyard, where the road suddenly narrows to avoid the cholera mound from the 1830s, and I once saw the ghost of a girl in a Victorian nightdress wafting between the graves there. On up the hill then into Stranmillis and Strahan Millish, the sweet stream, many happy hours passed, 
up there looking out the window of 143A Stramulus Road on the world going past our student flat and then down past the sharp red brick angles of the Lyric Theatre and you're onto the embankment. And then down along the lagging embankment you have the Holy Lands. For anyone not familiar with Belfast, the Holy Lands or the Lands is an area of terraced red brick streets between the Lagan and the University with names like Palestine Street, Cairo Street, Damascus Street, Jerusalem Street. They're all mostly multi-occupant rental properties and home to what estate agents would probably call a vibrant mix of ethnic minorities and students. But the point is, while I know the geography of this bit of Belfast, I feel at the same time at home and not at home here. I've never adopted the so you do, for example. You know the way that people in Belfast often reinforce the importance of what they've just said by adding a wee so you do at the end of a sentence. You do that. So you do. <laughs> These are all melters. So you are. I got in a Belfast taxi many years ago in the days when they still had radios to talk to the, the depot. And as we pulled away, this distorted female voice from taxi headquarters kept breaking through the static and crackle, calling out to the taxi drivers. <laughs> And it was so loud, so Belfast. And the taxi man had it turned up full. And after a minute, I said to him, how do you listen to that? And he never took his eyes off the road. And he came out with this immortal line. He went, your woman? Aye. She's a voice like a fire in a pet shop. A voice like a fire in a pet shop. And to be honest, quite a number of Belfast people have <laughs> voices like fires in pet shops. Um, and sometimes some Belfast people, he said bravely while his wife hopefully runs outside and starts the car, some Belfast people do genuinely feel that the world ends at the city limits. And I know that can be any city, to be fair. But a family from this city were having a big wedding in Donegal, and two of their old aunts didn't show up at the hotel. And further inquiries in the afternoon revealed that the elderly pair, who maybe hadn't travelled outside Belfast too much, had set out for Donegal and ended up in Balbriggan. What the hell took you to Balbriggan, said the nephew on the phone. Well, we just got in the motorway and followed the big blue signs for the south. Sure, Donegal's in the south. And that's so Belfast. One of the greatest Newry men of all time was a man called Sean Hollywood. He was an English teacher, an actor, a theatre director, and a political activist from Newry, very much involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And I remember asking him, with all his success in local drama, with all his legendary skills in public speaking, why he never moved away from Newry to Dublin or to London, maybe. And he said, people wouldn't say hello to me there. And nowadays, probably more people would say hello to me here in Belfast than would back in Newry. 
So I suppose that makes Belfast my adopted city. I don't know, do I adopt it? What's the procedure? Or does it adopt me? But at the same time, I did answer our friend from Adicol properly. I'm from Newry. But if you Belfast people don't mind, I think after 30 years, I kind of belong here. So I do. My granda on Google, the 2nd of April, 1911. In one of those evenings of searching, somehow by a route I don't know how to repeat, I land up in the room of a little house in Donegal, West Donegal to be precise, in the poor law union of Glentes, in the division of Daros, in the barony of Boila, in the parish of Inishkeel in the townland of Naran, in the house of labourer Peter McLoon and his wife Rose, with her three children, Annie Marie, Evelyn, baby Patrick, and you. We missed each other in the real world, passing on the road, but here I can peek in the window to the kitchen and the fire and the filling out of the census form when you are 25 years old and boarding here on a painting job. You'd have taken the train from Straban to Glentes across the Finn Valley with the lake full of wind and reeds, your bike in the luggage car with your ladders, or would you have borrowed these? I can picture the road from Glentes to Port Nou, its great sweep around the bay that is scenery to us and work for you. You painted big commissions, schools, hospitals, and something had hurt you. What I learned were stories of your coming home, going straight to the pub to toast the town, while my granny, seven daughters, and my father waited at home. He would be put to sleep with you on nights when you were drunk and reeled in the bed so that for all his life in nightmare, he was that terrified boy again. But for now, I like to think you are happy, that there is tea for the enumerator, even dinner perhaps, and singing after with a cup of porter or a bit of potching. One story tells of how near Downings you went across the bay to a pub by boat and hadn't returned next morning. The villagers going to the beach to look for you. And just as panic started to rise, out of the glistening distance, your big voice singing the West's Awake comes across the surface of the sea. You lived long enough to see my father marry. In the year you died, my parents lost their first baby named for you, my father losing his father and his first son in the same year. That little house is the light from a dead star, reaching all the way here, you singing by the fire.
That was Sunday Miscellany Live at the Crescent Arts Centre in Belfast, recorded last month as part of Belfast Book Festival. The scripts were More Salmon Than Dolman by Cherry Smith, Café by Wendy Erskine, Three Poems by Michal McCann, Keeper, Walking Through Empty Houses and Travelling Poem, Belonging by John Toll, and Meeting My Granda on Google, 2nd of April 1911, a poem by Maureen Boyle. And the music on this morning's programme was The Fawn Side, sung by Jack Warnock. Tea for Two by Vincent Yeomans, played by Scott Flanagan on keyboard. Home from Home by Phil Coulter, played by Emer McGeown on flute and Donna Hennessy on guitar. And The County Down by Tommy Sands, sung by Jack Warnock. And there'll be more from that event on next week's programme with writers including Neil Hegarty and Kerry Nidokerta. On sound were Damien Chanels and Tommy O'Sullivan. Sunday Miscellany's broadcast coordinator is Elaine Conlon. The producer is Sarah Binchy. And to listen back to this morning's programme, go to the RTE radio player or the programme website, rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash Sunday Miscellany. And you can follow the programme on Facebook, Twitter or all the usual podcast platforms. Just search for RTE Sunday Miscellany. You've been listening to the Sunday Miscellany podcast. For more from us, you can follow the programme on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for RTE Sunday Miscellany.